You're listening to the newest episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life with your host, Kim Olver. This is Kim and welcome to podcast number six on Couple Synergy. Today I have Dr. Ray and Jean Cadcodian, co-founders of Couple Synergy, a unique approach to helping couples create the relationship they've always dreamed of with the partner they fell in love with. Dr. Ray and Jean have degrees in clinical psychology and have been working with thousands of couples for nearly 20 years. They are also co-hosts of their own podcast called Couples Synergy, and I would advise you all to tune in to that. Welcome and thanks so much for coming on my show. Thank you so much for having us. Great. I'm really glad that you're here. And I wonder if you'd be able to tell the audience about the work that you do, Couples Synergy, maybe how it started and what it's evolved into. We've worked in the mental health field for, for many years now. And one of the experiences that we've had was conducting couples sessions and family sessions. In the venues that we were at, community mental health, we were often told to go and do a session with a couple. Often those sessions would not turn out very well. Most of often you're working with one client and they're bringing in their spouse who you have no idea about, you have no relationship with them. And so you're inviting a unpredictable element into the therapeutic session. And most often you end up acting like a referee. And one person is usually walking out of that session at the end feeling slighted, like they weren't heard. And so Gene and I, we kind of saw that happen most often. And then we decided we were going to create our own modality in working with couples, where each of us would work with each part of the couple individually and then come together and work with the couple in a conjoint fashion. The other thing we did is it's very structured. So people don't come in and do their same disruptive pattern. They don't come and fight in front of us. They don't come in with their own agenda. We have the agenda and we're the ones that are in control in the session because we need to teach them something new before they can change their relationship. And so a lot of times we're doing a lot of teaching before we get into real therapy and that makes all the difference in the world. So it's psychoeducational, at least initially. Mm -hmm. And do you find, because one of the things I hear from couples that come to me is that they've been to therapists before and they find that the therapist either takes one side or the other. And it might be what you were talking about, Ray, where people feel slighted. They feel a little ganged up on. I'm guessing that doesn't happen in couples synergy. No, one of the things that's a benefit for us is that we're able to balance the gender bias that normally occurs in traditional marriage counseling or couples counseling, because therapist is either male or female. And so one person of, of the couple is going to feel already that they're ganged up on. So you actually do these sessions together. You're both in there at the same time with the couple. We start out together with the couple and then we break out and do individual work. So I will work with the husbands and Jean will work with the wives. We will work with them individually as far as helping them figure out what their piece is. And then we come together again and we do the conjoint therapy. And would you mind sharing some of the teaching points that you might share with couples that will help them be more focused in their change? One of the things that we know is that every single relationship is a 50-50. They are both equally responsible for the condition of their relationship. But as people, we see outward, we don't see inward. And so everyone comes in thinking they're right and that the other person is wrong. 
and they come in knowing what the other person should change or what they think they should change. And they think, you know, if that person just changes, that I would be fine. The individual work is to show them that they have that piece that they're doing. And then when we come back as a couple, we're not talking about the individual work. We're showing them, this is what your relationship dance looks like. So there's specific exercises that we take them through. They'll have an activity to do. And then we'll say, oh, did you notice that you didn't talk about this or the other person couldn't read your mind or you took over? And then we say, well, you know, how did you learn that? What did you see as a child? And they start to become aware of their patterns in the relationship so that they can start to change because as lovely as it would be to change the world, we cannot, we can only change ourselves. And so it's a lot of helping them become aware of that. And especially the things they have learned throughout their lives about being in relationship and to show them a completely different way because our first relationship is parent-child. And as parent-child, we show up in adult-adult relationships. So sometimes she's the mommy and he's the little boy. Sometimes he's the daddy and she's a little girl. And so we really want to help couples be adult-adult in their relationships. Do you ever do work with one half of the couple by themselves? Let's say that their partner just refuses to come in for therapy. Is, is that something that you can, can you work a couple therapy with only one person? From time to time, we, we have had couples where one person, they self-terminate and they don't want to continue working. We will work with the individual that wants to continue, but it's really individual work at that point. Because couples, if they're not growing together, then the relationship is dying. The law of attraction, right? Right. And if one person starts to grow, it puts a great stress on the relationship. Yes, I imagine that it would. Do you find any trends in couples' work that people seek counseling for? Are there like your top three problems that people come in for? The number one thing that people say is that they're coming in for communication work. Mm -hmm. They need help in their communication, which is just this blanket statement. We always have to dig into that and really understand what they mean by that because it's not really about language. It's about all forms of their communication. When you say all forms, what, what else is there besides language? Typically, the breakdown is within the individual. Their head and their heart are disconnected. And when our head and heart are disconnected, we will always defer to our head. Our head is our domestication, our words, our logic, reason, our heart speaks different. And it's the heart that is the emotional piece. It's all of the language we do without words. So the way we look at somebody or don't look at somebody, the amount of time we spend with somebody, the way that we sort of just emote. And that's where the real breakdown is. And that's less than conscious, not always aware of what we're doing. It's really helping raise that awareness so that their communication can change, but it changes within the individual first. Do you find when you're working with couples that that change comes easier to one than the other sometimes? Yeah, I think so. I mean, men and women see things very differently. So the work that I do with uh, the husbands and the men is very different than the work that Jean does. And a lot of times, you know, the work that I'm doing with men is helping them really connect with you know, emotions, what they truly feel versus what they think and how they conceptualize things, right? Because they try to just think their way out of issues. Right. And I could see how that might not be so satisfying to the wife who's looking for more emotional connection. We find that couples really change in more of a leapfrog type of fashion where one is doing more work than the other. 
and it puts a strain on the relationship and then the other one catches up and surpasses them and it's kind of like this little dance that they're doing over time and you know we want to create that disruption it's the same thing as working out you don't go lift a little lightweight you have to lift something a little heavier to get stronger so there is a disruptive part of the process that helps people you know open up and dig in better I would imagine as the counselor or the therapist, that would be really fun to watch that kind of growth happen. It is. And we also give homework outside of the sessions because there's only so much you can change. And this isn't the reason people come in for therapy, but this is one of the biggest problems we see is they're not spending enough time together. Mm. So interestingly, we are creating 22 date night challenge Our anniversary, our 22nd anniversary is on Valentine's Day, and we're putting together 22 ideas of things that they can do over the next six months so that they're out and doing stuff because they're not doing new things. They're not traveling together. The kids are sleeping in their beds. There's just no couple time. That's one of the easiest things they can start to shift. When I hear about no couple time, I wonder how much you find our plugged-in lifestyle is getting in the way of couple communication or even quality time. We find that uh, technology is definitely getting in the way of couple time and that they're spending a lot of their energy outward on phones, social media, even TV. And so we define quality time as one-on-one interaction with no screens. Mm, I like that. Right. Yeah, so, we ask people, what's the first thing you touch in the morning? Is, it, people, is it each other? It's not right. each other, huh? No, most, most of the time it's the phone, mm. right? There's, there's actually a term that came out in Australia, I believe. It's called fubbing. And that is where you are snubbing your spouse or your partner with your phone. And you'll see this happen a lot of times. You know, couples will be talking or they're at dinner and someone gets a notification on their phone. And so they pick up their phone to take a look at that notification. In that moment, what you're doing is you're saying that that person on the phone is much more important than the person that you're talking to. I've experienced that with friends, not even in an intimate relationship. You're out to dinner and you're involved in a conversation and there'll be a ding and the other person has to look at their phone. It does feel like you're being snubbed in a sense. It's like, wait, I thought we were just having a communication here and now you're distracted. No, when you are on your phone, and this is why it's so dangerous to drive and text because 100% of your attention is on that screen. It's not like when you're driving and talking in Bluetooth where you're still paying attention to the world, you're completely gone. And I don't know how many times you've done this, but I'll pick up my phone for a specific reason. And 30 minutes later, I haven't even gotten to the reason or remembered the reason that I got on my phone to begin with because it's just so distracting and it really sucks you in and you don't realize that you have just taken, it's not two minutes or five minutes, sometimes it's 30 minutes that someone's across from you waiting and you don't realize it. You're so involved with it. You get immersed. Yep. And, you know, couples are, you you talk about your son and four kids. I mean, that's a very busy household, you know, and we're seeing that trend now where couples really scrambling with kids' activities and just dual income and dual careers and having to try to claw and scratch to get that time with each other. And it is much more challenging today for couples. So now if we're taking the, the amount of time we have left in the day and we're spending that watching TV or 
spending it on our phones, that relationship is really suffering, right? Because we're not really engaging with our partner and talking about the things that partners should be talking about, their you know, life goals and things they want to accomplish together. We see a direct correlation with the amount of affection and connection and levels of anxiety and depression. So when you get up in the morning and you don't have any affection with your partner, your anxiety increases. It's the same reason people with dogs or cats are healthier because we are taking that time and we're releasing that oxytocin and we're feeling connected in the world, which just makes us feel so much better. Couples often feel guilty because they work and their kids are in daycare. They don't wanna leave them and, and go on date night. It's really the best thing they can do for their kids because they're better parents if their relationship is better. They're happier, they're less stressed out, less anxious and less short with the kids. It makes them more present as parents. So there's a win for the kids as well. If we could increase touching each other and decrease the electronics, that would be a big change easily. Yeah. It's already, I feel good just thinking about it. I wanted to go back a minute to something you said early on in our conversation about 50-50 relationships. I'm thinking of some couples that I've worked with, and I wonder if they would argue in one specific case, and I have a feeling you would also agree that your 50-50 rule still stands, when there's been an extramarital affair. And since we were talking about online communication, I thought about how many people have actually had emotional affairs with people that they've never even met, and it's done online. I wonder, do you still believe that it's still 50-50? And can you say a little bit more about that? Because if you've been the victim of an affair, you totally feel like the victim and you did nothing to cause this to happen. And it just feels like they're so angry with their partner. So the condition of the relationship that allows for an affair is the 50-50 part. The person who chooses to have an affair, that is 100% their responsibility, and they have to answer for that action. But the relationship is in a condition that allowed for it, and both people participated in that. For whatever reason, needs weren't getting met, things were not being talked about, and that's the correction. If someone's having an affair and they're a chronic cheater, that's just a really unhealthy relationship. But if it's really a person who life got busy and they felt a need and they didn't go to their partner, then the relationship has some hope. I don't know, would you say more about that, Ray? I'm kind of zeroing in on the word victim, right? Because I think that if someone is seeing themselves as a victim of an affair, it doesn't help them grow. It doesn't help them learn from that situation, right? And everything that we go through in life I believe it's there for us to learn from, even if your partner cheats on you. There are things that we've talked to people who have had affairs and the ones who have been cheated on, it's kind of a wake-up call for them to be able to take a look at, well, where was I investing in the relationship and what can I do for myself to grow from this? Yeah, I like that. I'm curious about what experience you have working with couples who are non-traditional. For example, the consensual non-monogamous couples or even LGBT kinds of things, do you work with those situations and are they any different from what you've already described? We do work with those situations and they are really not any different. The thing that's different with the non-monogamy people is they just have a different way of having a boundary that's a violation. Mm -hmm. 
So uh, we actually podcasted a polyamorous couple and it was about a sweatshirt. She's like, he could do whatever he wants with her, but she can't wear this sweatshirt. This one's mine. And it's just a thing that, you know, they come up with a different way of claiming a bond in that relationship. As far as gay couples, one tends to be holding more of the feminine energy. One tends to hold more of the masculine energy. And we assess that in the beginning to decide who's going to work with who. I would say same issues. Would you say, Ray? Yeah, I would agree. Absolutely. And the masculine energy and feminine energy, it's really an important concept that we focus on because it really determines the dynamics within the relationship. All the things that we teach, they hold true, whether it's a same-sex couple or polyamorous couple. Uh, we're really talking about boundaries and communication and affection and how to connect with your partner, which is just universal. And I recently heard of a study that showed our polyamorous couples are actually better communicators. Because of their lifestyle, they need to communicate better than your average couple would. It, one thing that's really interesting is there was a couple, we've been working with them for a very long time, and she tends to have more relationships with other people. He tends to either not do that or it's more sexual for him and not so much of a relationship but she will come in after a breakup, not from her marriage, but from her boyfriend and she's just devastated. And it's really interesting. I mean, that's kind of brutal, you know? So I think mm. you get all of those highs of the new part of a relationship, but then when it ends, it's just as damaging and devastating. And the fact that she's married and still in, in an intact relationship, it doesn't help her through those times. Very interesting. So you mentioned in a same-sex couple, you'll find one has more of the male energy, one has more of the female energy. I'm wondering if you notice in a heterosexual couple where the roles are different, where the woman holds more of the male energy, and then does that person work with you, Ray? And then the husband perhaps works with you, Jean? Or do you split by gender at that point? We have switched in working with couples from time to time if we start to notice that that is what is going on, right? There's more masculine energy being held by the woman in the relationship. We also pay attention to the primary caregivers mm -hmm. and the relationships that they have had with their primary caregivers. Someone has had more issues with their fathers growing up or with their mothers, then it, it determines on who is going to be working with who. Great. So do you put the people with the challenges with their dads with yourself, Ray, or would they then work with Gene? It, it really depends on the issues that they have had, hmm. right? Obviously, if there's like an abusive relationship, that's not something that we're going to put someone in to work with me right off the bat because they might be more defensive and right. they need that kind of softer approach. Sometimes it does feel like we are reparenting. And there's been a nice little uh, group of single women I've worked with that have gotten to a certain point that they really don't know how to find an appropriate partner. And then I'll send them over to Ray to work with him so he can teach them what a healthy male is like. Many of them have gotten married happily since then. So oh, the, how that's lovely. really cool work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really nice that you have that balance and that you have that positive relationship yourself. How do you keep your own relationship healthy? We always tell our clients that we'll never ask you to do something that we haven't done ourselves. We really role model that. We can't teach it if we don't live it. And so, yes, absolutely. We spend a lot of time together, 
lot of quality time, you know, not just running businesses, but also that couple time. And we find that that's really important. We struggle just like every couple does out there with conflict or communication issues, but we know very well that it's really important for us to focus on that, to not ignore it, not sweep it under the rug. I think I have a zero tolerance if something is out of whack. I can't just ignore it or not talk about it. I'm really bad at that. (laughs) In Gottman's work, he says you should spend five and a half hours a week of quality time together, just the two of you, no screens. We probably spend 60 hours a week, so much more because we can. Our kids moved out about four years ago. They both live in different states. And so it's just the two of us, which allows for a lot more of that time. But we tackle things immediately. We have modeled most of our stuff after a lot of things we went through in our relationship. Beautiful. It's very refreshing to run into therapists who are living, breathing examples of what they ask their clients to do. In closing, is there anything you want to add about your work or contact information you'd like to give our listeners so they can find you? Sure. Yeah. You know, the Couple Synergy podcast, you can tune in wherever you get your podcast. If you have any questions or want more information about the work that we do, you can reach us at couplesynergy.com. Email contact at couplesynergy.com. And look for the 22 date night challenge that's coming up. It starts February 14th and it'll go for six months. It's just a really fun way. We're trying to keep each date under $100. I think is the best thing you can do for your relationship is just start spending some time together. Having fun, doing your things. Having fun and doing your things. Yeah. Yep. Beautiful. Thank you so much for being a part of the podcast. Thank you for having us. I hope you'll join me next week for podcast number seven, when I'm going to talk about the seven disconnecting and connecting relationship habits. Talk with you then. This has been another thought-provoking episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life. To listen to past episodes, please visit our website at www.therelationshipcenter.biz forward slash podcast and remember to subscribe.